Hello, everybody. This is Pete from the Scholar and the Dropout podcast. I know it's been a long, long time since I posted anything. Um, I've been thinking about getting the podcast back up again. Uh, and part of what has drawn me to that, helped me with that, whatever you want to call it, is uh, my work with... Um, my coworker and friend, uh, dietitian, registered dietitian Christopher Barrett, who is going to be uh, on the podcast today. And Chris and I were talking about before the podcast how it's 2020, everyone's got goals, and what is it like to pursue goals? And what happens when you when you reach your perceived finish line and what that's all about. Uh, other things that Chris has talked about lately, I think that would be helpful for people to understand is the uh, relative energy deficit syndrome, which is essentially, from my understanding, like a very upgraded female athlete triad for all genders. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know what you want to say, Chris, but No, yeah, I think yeah. So let's start with the goal thing first. Goal thing. Yeah, the goal aspects first. Goal aspects. Um because I think this will like transition into the red syndrome. Uh-huh. Um in the sense that people really try and strive for goals when in reality what happens is they sort of forget all of the things that are around them that are really important. So I've worked with um I've worked with a lot of track and field athletes. And the biggest thing that I see is they're extremely driven to get where they want to go, but they don't fuel properly, mm-hmm. right? So essentially what's happening is they don't fuel properly, which limits their performance. That sounds like every athlete continue. Exactly, which limits their overall performance. But what they try to do is they try to fit a mold that they think is going to be successful, right? But there's no research that demonstrates that body composition has to do anything with performance. Mm-hmm. Right, so I remember I fell into this trap when I was a marathon runner. I was pretty lean, so I was six foot and like 155 pounds. So I would try to be leaner because I wanted to be like the Kenyans, mm-hmm. the sort of the front runners who were there. But my body just didn't like that, and I would get hurt. Right, mm-hmm. so I got a stress refraction, stress reaction in my fibula. Mm-hmm. Right, just because of that. Yep. And I tried to become something I wasn't. Right, but reality is, if I fuel properly, I'll be more likely to have that happen, mm-hmm. that goal happen. So I think goals are a sticky situation, though. So let me ask you this: with goal setting, do you think it's necessary to set a goal? I think it depends on the person. Um, it's hard. It, it's hard to make a, a generalized comment. Um, A lot of people will say that unless you write it down, it's not going to become a reality. Right. Uh, I would say that has not applied for myself. Right. I would I mean, agree. I did not write down that I was going to go to graduate school and get my doctorate. I didn't write down that, you know, when I was competing, I didn't, I don't think I wrote down, um, I'm going to win this next competition. Right. It was just in, that was in my mind. The goal was in my mind, and I would constantly remind myself of that goal. Right. Um, 
like even when, for example, now, you know, I don't compete anymore, but, well, at least for the time being, um, <laughs> you know, when I, right before I walk in the door, yeah, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but right before I walk in the door to go home, I check my mood. Like, I, because I know that uh, it's in the front of my mind to be the best dad I possibly can. Can I ask you? Yeah. How do you do that? I'm interested because I want to know. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I will, I will check, you know, so things that in things that I do to, to, to get good at this, you know, for people who are curious, I meditate regularly. And part of my meditation is, is, is oftentimes on, um, Increasing my own like emotional IQ, which includes uh, naming your emotional state. All right, so first you have to become aware of it. I am feeling something, and then once you're you know you're feeling something, can we put a name to it? And how we put a name to it is we check in, check below the neck. Okay, okay so I like that. Yeah, just that probably was <laughs> came up with some. Probably someone else came up with that. Yeah. But, uh, I'm saying it so that's all the sensations you feel with an emotional experience underneath your head. Hmm. So if I'm feeling uh, angry, right, I'm tight, I'm hot, I feel energy in my, in my arms, it's often an uncomfortable energy. If, I, if I'm feeling sad or down about something, it might be like a sinking feeling or even like a, like a little pain in like the in like your heart chakra, people would call it, or, or like a heartbreak, or anxieties like butterflies in the belly, uh, and sometimes like weakness in the arms. But whatever you want to call it, so uh, increasing your emotional awareness. This and this is what they call the ABCs of mindful emotion. So awareness, B is balance. So when I know I'm feeling something, um, can I just be okay with it? Meaning, I'm not going to chase after some pleasant emotion desperately, and I'm not going to do whatever I can to run to run away from an uncomfortable emotion. In in mindfulness, they call it equanimity, right? So just being balanced that you pro- approach emotions. And the last one is curiosity or care. Curiosity is a very brief check in with yourself. Why am I feeling this way? Not spending too long, but why? And then care is executing some type of compassion towards yourself, right? That most of us are our are hardest critics. And, you know, you know, maybe I spent the whole day beating myself up because something didn't go well, you know, and now I can check in with myself and just say to myself, hey, did you do, did you do your best? Are you doing your best, right? Oh, then let's just let that be, right? So that would be an act of compassion. And so I do this, all in the span of 20, 30 seconds, you know, as I open my car door and walk to my house. And um, in my mind, it is the understanding that um, it is much more important for her to experience me as consistent and present rather than to to entertain a, a fleeting emotional state. I fail sometimes at this. Sometimes I'm not good at it. Um, where do, how did I get off on this? Oh, but goals. Goals, yeah. So this was my goal for myself in terms of 
being the father who I'd like to be was, you know, without oversharing, like seeing my parents deal with their emotions influenced me to be a better parent, right? To, you know, my daughter and, and my wife, you know, they don't, they didn't come with me to work. They have their own life and right. they, they want to experience their husband and their father. And so it's all an effort to to be the best there. Because I think I try to do the same thing. So when I get home, first thing I do is I have like a little dish that's sort of on the side of the door. Mm-hmm. I put my wallet, keys, cell phone, badge, all in there yep. so that it can be sort of where my feet are yep. versus being where I was at work. Yeah. Um, but as you know, that inner voice sort of trickles along. That's yep. why I wanted to know how you did it. That's a really excellent skill that I, I want to act because you've told me about it before, just putting your phone, we don't, we don't have the basket yet. Yeah. Putting your phone in a place where you know that's where it's going to stay. Yeah. Um, because what I found is that one of my personal goals for this year is to read a book a month. Oh, nice. That is not happening. Okay. Because I'm putzing around on my phone. Can I give you a piece well, of advice? While I'm also watching Moana with my daughter. Yeah, go ahead. So I actually I chose a shorter book as my first book. Yeah, that's a great idea. So then I did that and I finished one book and I'm like, oh, perfect. Cool. It's like 100 pages. I can read literally 20 pages a night mm-hmm. and get it done in like five days. That's a great idea. So it's that sort of like small start. Yep. Right? I'm not going to read like Nelson Mandela's autobiography, my first one, you know, because that's like hundreds of pages but going back to your question about goals i think you have to be willing to experiment for yourself yeah and and we've talked about this with any goal your why has to be strong enough for sure right um but can i play devil's advocate yes i actually think the best the best experience in my life have not been something i set a goal for yeah i'm i I would completely agree with that. I'm just answering your question yeah. about goals. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's my, the best times I ever had had nothing to do with a goal. It was just about being present with people who I cared about. Uh, no, what I mean, I guess, is like my long-term like, projection of where I wanted to be, I never set a goal for it. Right. So I'll give you a good example. So most people don't know this. Um, second grade, I got diagnosed with a learning disability. Oh. So, like, reading and writing comprehension. So, my goal was to read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, it is. But for me, like, reading takes me twice as long. Right. Right? Um, writing takes me twice as long, and I will miss words, so mm-hmm. it'll sound like just broken up sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that sort of I did, right, is I just said to myself every day, I'm not going to be like everybody who has this. Mm-hmm. I didn't set a goal to go to Yale for mm-hmm. my dietetic internship, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't do any of that. All I wanted to do was I just wanted to say, okay, I'm going to be the greatest that I can be today, and that's it. And I'm not going to let somebody else's Label. opinion of me yeah. influence my actions. Yep. Right? So if I had a learning disability, I didn't want people to say, oh, Chris, you, you, you're okay. You don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I can do to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know, so I didn't focus on something long term. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do that. And I think that's something that discourages people. I can see that. And, and so that goes back to, I guess, my answer of like, you have to figure out what works for you. If, right. you. 
if, if you create some big lofty goal, it might intimidate you and shut right. you down. If you create small measurable goals, it might be easier for you. I, mm, I don't know where I personally fall yeah. along that spectrum. Probably it depends on the task. Right. Depends on the task. I think the other thing too, relating to sort of how I went about my goal setting, I think what I got from, and I hate to use this term because it's so overused now, but like embracing the process essentially. Yes. Like what, during the process, like I developed so much more strengths that I would ever gain from even achieving my goal. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And competing actually taught me a tremendous amount. Of For sure. I actually think sports does a poor job. It does. Because really what's a lot of times, because there's, there's so much that's not communicated in sports, right. uh, the assumption is head down, yep. push through it, which works until it doesn't. Right. Um, and, the, you know, if it's training, your body breaks. Um, if it's emotionally, if you're head down, you're, you're, missing, you're missing everything. For sure. Um, but uh, what was I? What were we responding to? Um, like long-term goal setting. Long-term goal setting. I don't really have an answer for that. You know, there's probably a lot of books in Barnes & Nobles about goal <laughs> setting, and they're all on, you know, WNPR and all this stuff. Right. Um, I think if I were to deconstruct it and things that are helpful is some things people can consider is writing it down in mm-hmm. a place that is visible. Right. Um, getting as much support around it as you possibly can. Right. So telling people who know you and who see you often, hey, listen, um, I'm trying not to eat junk food as much. If you right. see a donut in my hand, call me out. <laughs> right. You know, so or yeah. whatever. So if writing it down is helpful, write it down mm-hmm. uh, somewhere. Gather as much support as you can. Ask yourself why you're doing it, mm-hmm. right? If it's possible to break the goal down into subcomponents or what we would call objectives, that might be helpful too so it doesn't seem so lofty. Right. Um, and be, account- be accountable to something. Be accountable to somebody. That's right. why I think having a support system or, for example, like people coming to us for help or mm-hmm. coach for help. Yeah. You know, setting a goal and being accountable for it. You know, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you in a week how you're doing towards X. Right. And and so that that a lot of times helps people get and traction. And I think that gets lost, especially in sports now, because everybody's trying to do everything online. I think you with social media with um, online coaching, I think that actually reduces accountability. Oh, hundred percent. I say, I say this, this is my, one of my new favorite sayings, is yeah. the, worst, the worst thing for a competitor is competitor's programming. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because, just like you're saying, oftentimes what a person will do who's athletically oriented and driven is, I'm just going to find a program that's really challenging, I'm just going to do it. Right. Guess what? That ain't geared towards you, that programming. Exactly. That's geared towards someone who probably is better. Sure. And it was more naturally geared towards this thing. Yeah. And so the athlete doesn't know it, but what they end up, what ends up happening is, is they dig themselves in a hole. For sure. Uh, and that goes to the whole idea of reds. 
Yes, go ahead. Right? So this relative energy deficit syndrome, right, is essentially a more encompassing version of the female athlete triad. So the female athlete triad is a mixture of a lack of a period for females, right? Bone density loss, and then relative energy, or basically they're not consuming enough calories. Mm -hmm. This can either be intentional, so like somebody with an eating disorder, or it can be unintentional. Somebody starts that new competitor's program, mm -hmm. and they don't realize how many calories they're actually expending. Even with all the latest and greatest technology, they still don't realize it. But Chris, yeah. the internet says intermittent fasting. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I understand. But it's one of those things where I think a lot of people under fuel mm -hmm. and what data or what sort of the research is demonstrating is when people are under eating, what they're noticing is that there's more skeletal muscle like issues, mm -hmm. right? They're breaking down more. Um, injury rates are probably likely going to be higher. Mm -hmm. um, but again, things like that, maybe they get colds more often. Right? Immunity. Yeah. So there's a lot of just different factors. And all these things should sound familiar to people who are in sport, overtraining syndrome. Mm -hmm. Right? When we overtrain, right? We dislike our sport, even though we were really passionate about it. Right? We undereat because we're not fueling properly. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we have a higher risk of injury. Yep. Right. All, all of these things sort of happen. You know, now we're talking about this. <clears throat> Do, what are your thoughts about, like, the concept of adrenal fatigue? Like, is that something? Could that play into this? Uh, I don't know. You don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of, like, it's a mixture of sort of, like, our pseudoscience where, right. like, we're thinking of, like, I think there is an endocrine effect that happens. Mm -hmm. um, I just wouldn't call it adrenal fatigue. I think there are different things that do. It has this it. name we're talking about. For sure. I think, you know, as you were, Chris provided an, an in-service to our, to our team here at work that was really helpful with his intern. Um, and one of the things that struck me was how normal this is. You know, how it's likely part of part of many athletes' training cycles, but that also doesn't mean it has to happen. Right. You know, it's for so many years it was just kind of train tough, train hard, doesn't matter how much sleep, get up. Right. Um, and doesn't matter what your programming says, you know, you gotta hit the numbers. Sure. And um and now we're finding out I think that that's not accurate and is and if we if we do pursue that long term this kind of head down just do it no matter what are you are you shaving time off of your career you potentially know? right i mean potentially you are so because you got to think right is if an athlete's continuing to pursue what they did when they were 20 when they're at 30 right. there's no way they're going to be able to do that right just the it's a hard lesson for uh, yeah <laughs> for, for us guys <laughs> so but i think like i think you you hear the saying all the time about like age never loses yeah right it's always going to win right yeah. you see these like really great superstar athletes who are in their 40s that are still playing right mm -hmm. aka tom brady right but eventually age is going to catch up he is the the complete outlier and age may be catching up right right um What's a saying I heard? Father time and mother nature are undefeated. Right, <laughs> exactly. Unless you, you take some special supplements. Right. Even it's, then, 
even right. then, even then, uh, the universe comes knocking for everybody. But I think okay, so I think that transitions nicely to okay. What happens when you actually do achieve your goal? Right, that's a great question. You like, let's say you. I don't want to use the term "sell your soul," but you you basically put everything into it, mm-hmm. and you finally achieve your goal. Yep. I think this happens for a lot of Olympic athletes when they finally achieve a medal. Yep. And what happens is they realize it's fleeting. I'll never forget um, when I was watching, you know, the UFC more often, uh, one of the heavyweight champions, light heavyweight, Rashad Evans, was talking about he, his, his ascent to the title was, was all publicized. You know, he was on The Ultimate Fighter, and he, I, th- I think he won The Ultimate Fighter for his weight division and then ended up winning the title, and then they interviewed him after he won the title, and he was just like, nothing changed. No. Yeah. And um, I remember for myself, when I was competing and I won my first competition, I was, I was shocked at how much nobody cared. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody. Because no, nobody really knows what you're doing. No one really understands what you're doing, unless it's happening on the television. Right. No one really understands the amount of time and discomfort you had to endure right. to get but, there. But I think even, let me ask you this, right? I love the Olympics, right? Yep. I love watching the Olympics. Yep. I can't tell you who won the 200-meter breaststroke in the Olympics. No. Unless you're, like, a fanatic about the sport. Yep. Those things just go away. That's right. Right, you're part of a record book or like the book of the Olympics of like who won, but like you said, it's like, I don't, it's not like the outcome, isn't the thing that you sh- that you should no. be striving for. Because because like I think there's two things, there's like we're talking about athletes aren't taught that, right. you know, um, well they're not taught how to celebrate, you're not taught how to savor the flavor. Right. You're taught how to move on. Right. Right. And train harder. Watch, watch tape. Do this. And then, you know, the other idea is chasing glory. Right. Is that what we're really trying to do? And is that even something that's attainable? Right. Is, it, is, is glory something that we imagine we experience when we're given the medal? Or is it something we experience when we're sitting in a rocking chair at age 80 and when we reflect back I don't know yeah um I wonder if it has to do with the level at which a person achieves you know like but I yeah for most athletes I've heard and spoke to who perform at elite level it's similar to what we're talking about it's kind of like it was it was cool you know it wasn't you know there wasn't a parade, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I think I just think it's very unique that we're always tr- striving for a. We're really striving for this ba- major goal, mm-hmm. but when we finally get it, it's nothing of what we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. I. I mean, I, my life. I don't think I've had an experience where. Like, I was striving for something. It never met the potential of what I wanted. Right. Have you ever met that person that you've always wanted to meet? And then you're like, oh, man, that was a letdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had that happen a few times when I go to different seminars. I'm like, oh, man, I thought this person was going to be totally different. Mm-hmm. And then they're, the ex- they're like just an average Joe. 
so when we treat anxiety, we tell people like nothing is ever ba- nothing is ever as bad or scary as your mind will tell you. Yeah. Nothing is ever as good or as magical as your mind will tell you. For sure. In your imagination. Other than what I would argue are the most pleasurable times are the times that we're not actually dreaming about what's going yeah. to happen. It's like when you're having like a really good training session with friends you train with and it's really right. pleasant and it's like you're you're there and you're in it and it's yeah. fun and like that's that's the stuff. Oh, for sure. Um and I also think this so from a coach's perspective, right? Because I coach the high school cross country team. One of the things I think is if you give these like concrete objectives like outcomes that have to happen, like in a race, right? Like, so I'm sorry for the kids I used to coach like 10 years or five years ago, Mm -hmm. but I give them these like super elaborate race plans, like with certain objectives. You have to be at this point at X time. That totally ruins flow. Mm. It totally brings you out of flow state Mm -hmm. because what happens, and then you go into this vicious spiral of, okay, I'm not at X mile. Run harder. But then you're like, I'm too slow. Yeah. And then it keeps spiraling down. Versus like you said, when you're in the gym with your friends and buddies, it just flows. Yeah. It just feels like it feels right. Yep. You feel you're having fun, number one. Right? And then number two is you're actually putting in some effort, you know, and you're trying to see where you can be. Mm-hmm. You know? And competing a little bit. Because you have to compete. It has to compete. Yeah. But uh but I think overall it's just it's unique that we always strive for these outcomes. When reality is, is if you achieve these outcomes, it's never as good as you think. No. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. I, I think it would be interesting to survey, you know, the survey athletes who have won the Super Bowl, who yeah. have won, you know, um, the World Cup and, and whatever, whatever your, your, your championship is in their experience. Yeah. Um, I, I bet you'd have a percentage of people who, like, really were enjoyed it and a right. percentage of people who were like, it was cool, and then it went away, and people who felt like we're talking about, like, it was just kind of, it wasn't what you are expecting right. at all. Well, and the reason why I, I wanted to bring this topic up when we talked about it, right, is I work with a lot of people now who want to lose weight, right? But what happens is, is when, what they don't realize is... The part of the lesson is not just setting a goal. The part of the lesson is, man, I'm actually doing something that is challenging my character to change. Right. So people, when they say like, oh, this has been ingrained in me since X, that's your character we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not about like your cultural habits. Mm -hmm. It's just a character setting that's in you. Yep. So when we sort of purposely change character, that's tough. Through behavior. Through behavior changes. What I've learned is that the more I present it right. as character, the more people are like, no, 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 no. The right. more you present it as behavior and things that are that are changeable, controllable, malleable, <clears throat> yeah. the more a person will, will buy into that. Where the truth is, is what you said. Right. But you can't present it like that. But the other thing I think that's important to look at too is people when they sort of want to change, right? There's certain things they want to change, but then there's certain things that they don't want to change, but those are, like, untouchable. Like? 
good example is uh, I had one patient where they basically continued to eat once they got home, right, after work. So they finished their shift around 9 or 10 o'clock. After 9 or 10 o'clock, essentially what they would do, they'd get home and they would go right into their cue cycle of do this, do this, do this, and then get the reward of eating, mm-hmm. right? But what they didn't, but then as we sort of went a little bit more into the story, they looked at the idea of, well, her father did the same thing. And he would just take a little piece of the pie, a little piece of the pie, a little piece of the pie, and then at the end of the evening, he may have eaten a quarter of it. Mm-hmm. And he would get frustrated. The exact same thing happened to her. Mm-hmm. Exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not, it's a character trait that was passed down to you. Absolutely. Not a cultural thing. Yeah, it's social learning, we call right. it in, in psychology. Right. You know, at least a certain part, we we internalize how our attachment figures behave as yeah. means of behavior. Right. Whenever, after dinner time, I rummage through the cabinets. Right. And yeah. I repeatedly stop myself on the nights where I'm doing well. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. And it's just... The last thing I want to say is a lot of the people who have these like character changes that they want to make, they never picture themselves or identify themselves as the person who's going to change. They always identify themselves as the person who overeats. We'll use the person that mm-hmm. I used in that example. They identify themselves as the person who overeats, and they're afraid they're going to go back to the place that they were before. Mm-hmm. When in reality is you should be focusing on something that is your, in your future, mm-hmm. right? Not what you sort of did in the past. We had a, uh, uh, a speaker talk. This one professor researcher was all about motivational interviewing. Yeah. That's his exact, his exact point. He goes, you know, any psychotherapy, which is a lot of what I do, yeah. that has to do with, like, talking about the past is garbage, doesn't work. <laughs> He's like, all, all, all needs to be is present future-oriented, mostly future-oriented. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, I was, okay. and maybe there's a lot to that, like you're saying. Maybe there's... I think, though, it's, you have to uncover what the characteristics are that you're looking for in the past. Right. But... To change. Right. But you have to, so you have to build awareness of those. Then you have to sort of build this like identity of who you want to become and why you want to become it. Right. And that, that intervention is present and future oriented. For sure. Last point before we wrap up is one of the things you, you, when we sit and chat or whatever is you have this idea of, is it that we overtrain or under recover? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that now? 100% under-recover. Under-recover. Uh, like, I don't think we overtrain at all. I think it's that we under-recover, or in the example of reds, we under-eat. I, I, and again, I've, never done, I've not done the research. I believe you can eat, you can out-eat over-training. So I'm going to attempt to play devil's advocate. Okay. <laughs> so we were talking yeah. about, uh, for example, like CrossFit and how challenging that is on your nervous system yeah would you say that a competitive crossfit athlete could not overtrain only under recover that's tough i don't know i would say i i'm gonna i'm gonna go against what i just said i think it's a mixture i think it's a mixture of under recovery and overtraining so it's like two coming together when both of those things come together, that's overtraining. Yeah. 
So uh, under recovery. I think you haven't seen someone <laughs> really <laughs> dig themselves in. I, I had someone tell me their program the other yeah. day, and I just kind of uh, did what I'm doing right now. I just kind of rubbed my forehead. Was, you know, it's very hard to explain to someone yeah. that um, you have you're putting forth all of this effort into and create these adaptations, yeah. and you're taking the half of them away. You take a step forward, a step back, by um, at least some of how you know these internet programmings approach things, but yeah. But I think, like, when you look at it, right, stress plus rest equals success or recovery, mm-hmm. right? Or basically your, your not recovery, your, um, your ability to sort of improve. Mm-hmm. One of the things I wish I did, I wish I recovered better. I think if I did, I think I'd be in a totally different spot athletically. What, did that mean? what does that mean, though? Um, so in the running world, it's the idea of running your easy runs really easy or Chris, it's okay to take a day off once in a while. Mm-hmm. I always had the mentality of I'm working when nobody else is, mm-hmm. right? So a good example is birthday, working out. <laughs> Christmas Eve, oh, 100%. Christmas Day. Don't tell me the gym isn't open on Christmas. <laughs> right. But those factors, like I wish I took days off. And on easy days, really make it easy. And I, what, the way I would frame it to athletes yeah. is, is that you – you're you you're having to work yeah. on those days where you're it's a rest day because psychologically you have to stop yourself that's mm-hmm. work that's anyone can step into a gym and crush themselves right anyone can that's not hard right the hard thing is being nuanced the hard thing is stopping yourself the, there's a saying I, and I'm gonna butcher it I okay. know but Lauren Fleshman she's a runner and she says you have to have the courage to recover yeah especially so this is especially important during the marathon training right so the taper time people start going like stir crazy but you have to learn to sort of recover and relax and to be honest i think a lot of athletes just need to learn to relax let's stop there (laughs) that's really good the saying was what what did she say again the quote you have to have the courage to recover you have to have the courage to recover Let's end it on that. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Chris, and let's do it again. Sure.